0: After the sermon, we'll proceed to ordain and install men, and uh, part of the sermon this morning will be an exhortation, uh, an encouragement uh, to those who will be leaders in the church. Uh, so those particularly who are being ordained and installed this morning, I encourage you to receive this sermon as such as your chastisement and encouragement uh, to work before the Lord. Uh, Zechariah 2, 1 through 5. And I lifted my eyes and saw, behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. Then I said, Where are you going? And he said to me, To measure Jerusalem, to see what, it, what is its width and what is its length. And behold, the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him. And he said to him, Run, say to that young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as villages without walls because of the multitude of people and livestock in it. And I will be to her a wall of fire around her, declares the Lord. And I will be the glory in her midst. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Capitals in Countries throughout history have played a very important role. They are often the centers of pride, of national significance, of importance. You, for the most part, any of the major countries, you think of their capitals, you think of London, you think of Paris, or even in Rome, we think of Rome as the center of the world of its time. They're all important. This is no less true for America. We think of Washington, D.C., our capital. Uh, We may love, we may hate it, but if we're attacked, we would see that as an attack on the heart of America itself. This is no less true for Israel. This is no less true for Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of the life Of the Israelite. It had long been the object of wonder for the nations, even through as history went on, even past uh, the New Testament time, we see that wars were fought over Jerusalem. Many people uh, were killed for possession of Jerusalem, and this sense of wonder was no less true in the time of Zechariah. Throughout this book, throughout this prophet, I should say, we'll see Zechariah focusing a lot of time on Jerusalem. They've returned, they've come out of exile, not to reestablish the nation, not to reestablish the divinic monarchy. No, they've come to restore Jerusalem, to build the walls, to build the temple once again. Again. Jerusalem, as we see, is very important to Israel. It's where God dwelt. It's where worship took place. But prior to exile, we also see that a false sense of security had been built up in the people's minds about Jerusalem. They had turned from God, and so God tore its walls down. The stones of the temple were toppled, its people were put to death by the sword. If if Israel was going to exile then, you think a good object lesson for them would have been this. Jerusalem is not what it, we put too much stock in Jerusalem. And so we're going to come back and we're going to put less significance in Jerusalem. But this is not what God had taught them. This is not what he wanted them to do. He wanted them to rebuild the city. He wanted them to rebuild his temple. In the New Testament, we learn many things about the holy city. It pointed to something that was greater to come. The New Testament uses Jerusalem to talk about the eternal city of God in heaven. It becomes a type of something that was to come. Hebrews 12:22 says this, but have you come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. God wanted to restore the object that would be used in the New Testament church to talk about this thing that was to come, and so Jerusalem was to be restored. This now, as we come to our text today, is the third in eight visions that we see in Zechariah. The first spoke of blessing, the second of security, and now we see a vision that talks of building. How will they build the city? Of course, starship, as the, the uh, joke in the title uh, says here, they built their city on rock and roll, right? We built this city on rock and roll. But that's not how they are to build their city. How are they to build their city? And there's several perspectives that you can come with. And so these will be our points today. First will be man's plan for building. Second will be God's plan for building. And third and finally, we'll see God's plan for protection. First we see man, man's plan for building. Uh, The vision begins with talk of a measuring line. Earlier, in one of the earlier promises, we see that the measuring line will be stretched out across Jerusalem. Uh, God is going to build his city, and now we see a man with that measuring line. He is going to measure the width and the length of the city. But who is this person with the measuring line? Some say it's one of the angels, the host of angels... Uh, who are there at the beginning of the beginning of Zechariah, those who are mounted on the horses. And so they see it as an angelic messenger. However, I think it more likely, and many commentators say that is probably more likely, the human expectation for the city. When we as uh, humans, as men, as women, when we think to build something, we want to put diameter on it don't we we want to say it's going to start here and it's going to end here it's going to be so so big by so big right whatever that happens to be and if this is a man then it makes sense because the angel sends another angel to him to stop him he says no go stop this person he needs to correct the error that he's making because he's Going to try to build the city upon man's plan, from man's perspective, and not from God's perspective. And there is a warning that we should heed here today, still in the church. How will we build God's church? Are we going to build it on our own plan, with our own measuring lines saying the church is going to look exactly like this and only like this? Or will we build it upon God's plan? Where do we get our perspective on how we are to build the church? Where do we get our perspective on how we are to build the Christian? The reality is this. There are only two choices. We either get our perspective from God or we get it from man. What does the world tell us we should do? And the world says many things. The world comes to the church and they say, uh, and tell us things about divorce and marriage. They tell us things about life and death. They tell us things about eternity or the lack thereof. And they come into the church and they're chirping in our ears. And it's tempting to listen to them, to buy in to what they're saying. And at times there seems to be no hope, no improvement to come. The world's message to us can be bleak. It can be hard to hear. It can be devastating. But we must remember who holds the measuring line. Who dictates where the city will begin and where the city will end. It is not man. As we turn to the Bible... As we see what it says about the church, we see many things. We see from Revelations 21 that it's the body, or the beloved bride, excuse me, of Christ. We see in 1 Corinthians that it is the body of Christ. It's his bride, it's his body, it's been purchased, as Acts 20 tells us, by Christ. It is to display wisdom. This is who the church is to be, the body and bride of Jesus, who has been purchased by his blood blood, and displays his wisdom. God intends for us that we reflect upon his power and his glory forever. And as we do this, he builds his body. He refines our character. He makes us who we are to be. And sometimes this is done through... uh, through great blessings. Sometimes this is done through trials and tribulations, but what we have to understand is that he is always in control. He is always building us and shaping us as he will have us. As we've said today, we will ordain men to the office of deacon and elder. And I tell you, it is easy to try to shape the church to your own devices, to your own strengths, to your own whims, and to your own wills. At times, it's tempting to become exclusive and not inclusive. I encourage you, I charge you men, to remember what he says about the church, to remember what God says about the church. You seek to serve and lead the body and bride of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. People who have been purchased through his blood. Now that should take you back a second, shouldn't it? You are to lead people who are purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You are dealing with precious, precious cargo a precious possession. You have a heavy responsibility. Remember that. So if it's not our plan, if it's not man's plan for the building, whose plan is it? And this is our second point, God's plan or God's perspective for the city. He declares that he will have a city or a village, as we see here, without walls. Isn't this a great and beautiful vision for his city, for his church? He will have a city, a church without walls. It is not mere some mere modest enterprise with a few franchises here and there. No, he is going global. Think of Birmingham. You can imagine, I'm sure... Maybe some of you who have a better knowledge of the history of Birmingham than I do. uh, If Birmingham started, it was very localized and slowly but surely it's grown out. This is true of many of the cities we see today. We talk, the big cities anyway, see this urban sprawl, how it just gets bigger and bigger and it becomes more. And it becomes more. This is the idea of the church that there is no end to it. It will continue to grow. We see that in a basic way this is fulfilled in the time of Zechariah. Yes, the the city will be rebuilt, and yes, it'll grow and it'll be even become strong for a time. But this prophecy is not ultimately fulfilled until Christ. And then what does he tell us? What does he tell us at the end of Matthew? And we we've just recently ended this, haven't we? Go therefore into all nations making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And then in Acts, he continues that notion, uh, you will go first to Jerusalem, then you'll go to Ju- Ju- Judea and, or Samaria and then, no, Judea and then Samaria and then the ends of the earth. He says you're going to go all over, you people who are used to be lo- being localized In this city, you people who are being used to being localized in this country are now going to go to your enemies and then to all the people of the earth, and you're going to bring them the good news of the gospel. Today, we see that his village, his city, has extended to every continent on this earth. And it's easy, even in that, to view the church as a city under attack, as a city that is being besieged. And it certainly is. And as we are attacked, we can become inward focused. We can become pessimistic. But we have to remember that his city will be great. It will be vast. I love the image of a city when talking about the church. Because we, like cities, can, or we we can mirror cities in a a great way. Cities or churches have their own society. They have their own culture. They have their own language. They have their own way they act. And if you've never been in the church and you come to church, it can almost seem like you're in a foreign country. What are they doing here? What is prayer of invocation what do they mean they're justified by faith? i mean this language that we use can sometimes be daunting and confusing i'm sure at times you even hear me speak and you're like what is he saying it can be confusing but we must remember that we are a city without walls and we must get rid of needless barriers we must be open to all who would come We cannot act as if we have walls. And we erect walls in different ways. We say, if you don't look a certain way, then you can't come here. Maybe they have a tattoo. Maybe a man has an earring. What are the different things we erect and say you're not welcome here this is where my wall is erected and you cannot come past it jesus is not for you you're not welcome to the city we have to be careful that we understand the gospel is for all we cannot be a secret or closed society i think often when i think of secret and closed and you think of the mormons and how they have their uh, places where only certain people can go and you can have to elevate to a certain point. there's not free access there. It is limited, but we are to freely share our secrets to come and say, "This is not something I'm hiding from you. I was a sinner in need of grace, and I was saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you can be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ too. We are to be free with inviting people to the city. Once again, I turn to you men, and this is true for all of us. But he has called you to work. He has called you to work in his city. He's called you to work out his plan for his city as individuals. He has called you to aid him in his task. And if you are to aid him, then you must know how he intends to build his city. And how can you know how he intends to build his city if you do not know the word of God? This is his blueprint for his vast enterprise. You must know it. You must know it intimately. You must know it backwards and forwards. It's in his word that we see his plan for his church. And we cannot allow the church to become exclusive. Like a country club. We must be calling all who would come. Working to this end. For the listener of Zechariah there would have been an immediate question that we would not probably so much jump to today. We don't have to go as we're going into Birmingham and get through the wall that's around Birmingham, do we? There's not a wall erected around Birmingham or any other city for that matter. But during this time, walls were very important. Why? Walls meant protection. If someone was going to come in and they were going to attack your city, the wall would be one of the major lines of defenses. Walls are firm, (laughs) they're big, they're hard to get through, Uh, particularly with men with swords and arrows, they would not be able to get through them easily. Walls were important, and Zechariah is now telling them, you're going to be a city with no protection. That is the temptation for them to hear here? There'll be no wall. In essence, there'll be no protection. And so, our third and final point is God's plan for protection. And in essence, God wants us to learn this the church cannot rely on any earthly powers for her protection. We are all guilty of erecting walls. And none of the walls that we erect can offer the security that God can give us. So you may have a wall of money, of position, of relationships, or political leverage. Whatever it is, you erect a wall around you and say, this is the thing that will protect me. We would do better if we lived our faith boldly before the world as we seek God in prayer. Resting and relying in him. Do you rest and rely in God, believing that he will really provide for you? Or do we say this? Yes, I believe God can provide for me, but we all love that to use that word, right? But I've got to do this so that I won't have problems come my way. I have to have this nest egg. I have to have this all in place. And so I'm going to do what I want to do and not trust that God will take care of me. And what happens? One of two things I think happens. Either we fall flat on our face. And we realize the thing that we were resting and trusting in is empty, or He gives us exactly what what we want. We rest in that thing, and as we rest in that thing, as we accumulate that thing, we grow further and further from God. We cannot rest in the things of this world. God is able to protect your church, or his church, excuse me. I was reading a commentary you know, this week, and there was a great example of this, and I'm uh, stealing it just without shame. <laughs> I'm just stealing it. Um, and he gave the example of the French atheist Voltaire, or Vol- however you say that. Voltaire, I think, is how you say it. Um, and you may have heard of him, he was an atheist. And he penned this. He said, in 50 years after from his death, no one would remember Christianity. He said, my single hand shall destroy the edifice it took 12 apostles to rear. In his arrogance and pride, he said, my pen will destroy the church. Well, you know what? He died. But that is not merely enough. I think God in his goodness and graciousness has a great sense of humor 50 years after his boast his house from which he assaulted the church with his pen became the headquarters of the geneva bible study or society excuse me geneva bible society it is from his house that they mass produced and mass disseminated bibles from his house With my pen, I will destroy the church in 50 years. And God says, I will protect my church, and I will throw it in your face if you think you can destroy what I have built psalms 122 says this peace be within your walls and security within your towers for my brothers and companions sake i will say peace be with you he comes to you today and he says peace be with you the world is gonna hurl insult they're gonna mock you they're gonna try to tear you down but peace be with you for i am building your city or my city I'm building the church and it is tragic. It is tragic when the church rests in its earthly riches. We have to be careful as a church that we're not hoarding things in fear. And that's a temptation. Well, what if? What if this happens and this happens? But what does he call? He tells us my church will be vast. Churches begin to rest on what is called the ABCs of church. Attendance, building, cash. These are the most important things. And people ask these questions. I have been confronted with these questions. How many people go to your church? How many people are members of your church? What's your budget? What kind of programs does your church have? What are they not asking? Is God present in your church? Is God your glory? Do you love the Word of God? Do you proclaim it and adore it? I can tell you, I have never once been asked that question. Not once. What are we concerned with? We're concerned with things, with programs. He's invited, he's invited us into his city and he says, there I will protect you. You will be my children. I will watch over you. And this is a wonderful invitation. If you don't know him, he says, come to my city, find protection and solace there. Flee the cities of this world that are empty, that are vapid, that are wastelands. And to the Christian, he says, you are in my city. Stop pretending like you're not. Stop operating as if you are not one of my people. Stop trusting in the world and start trusting in me as you should. You are a member of a city that is eternal. One that we only see in part by now. Only in part by faith. But the day is coming when we will see that glorious city forever. Forever where we will be with our Savior. One of the means God has given you for your protection is leaders. We are meant to be a city without walls, but this does not mean we are without protection. Men, you are called to be tenders, protectors, of the flock of God how do we watch over them we give them sound teaching this means we're concerned with content but it also ma- means we're concerned with making sure they're here being care- caring about where they are and wh- why they're not at church And as we come to church, we are allowing our leaders to keep us accountable by faith, to pursue us. We can't grow angry. If a leader comes and says, I haven't seen you at church, where have you been? Come, come and be fed. Zechariah paints for us a beautiful picture of what the city of God is to be like. Man, man will always lean on his own understanding. He will rest in the things of this world for his hope, for his security, money, fame, pride, arrogance, whatever it is, that will be the thing that is most precious to him. And all of these things can be a stumbling block. As we build the church of God, as we build his kingdom, this city, we must turn and trust in him in all things, not leaning on our own knowledge or understanding. And as we rest in him, we rely on him for protection. He will watch over you. Brothers and sisters, he will keep you even in trials Even in hardship, even when it feels like the walls are tumbling on top of you and it is suffocating, He is there protecting you. And we are to rest and hope in that source of protection. Do you know that hope? Do you know that protection? then rid yourself of all earthly fetters. I'm not telling you to go out and say, get rid of everything you have and just hope that you'll get food every day. That's not what I'm saying. But it's relinquishing the hold that this earth has on your heart and surrendering wholly and without reservation to the God who is building His wonderful, magnificent city in which his presence dwells. It is a beautiful picture. I pray that that would be the image of his church here on earth. Let's pray. Dear, gracious heavenly father, we are so thankful for your word. We are thankful that you have shown us That it is not upon our own strength or on our own reckoning that you build your city. But you build your city on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Lord, would we be built up from him, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen.